Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Surprises for me is about the sensorial symphony that you can achieve with a blender. It's not only extraordinary colors, again, you know, it's kind of like mixing paints, right? We can't get it when we chop it together. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Hey guys, before we get into it today, don't forget to subscribe right where you're listening at this very moment. And if you have an extra minute, leave us a rating and review too. Those ratings help other busy parents and home cooks discover us. I'm so excited about today's interview, even though at the same time, it made me feel like a major underachiever in the kitchen. Tess right? is so amazing that I was like, what have I been doing all this time? Uh, raising children, maybe? I guess I that's don't true. Know. Yeah. Also, different strokes for different folks, different right? Different strokes like, for different folks. But now I am so inspired. I 100% agree. I'm like, how soon can we get this interview done so I can go grab my blender and like make a bunch of with it? Totally. So I already felt like my blender was a really important tool in my kitchen, and it's something that I would recommend that everybody have, but I really didn't understand the depth (laughs) to which it could be useful to me. I don't know. How did you come into this interview? Okay. I came into this interview worried that Tess would tell us there's one blender to rule them all, and you don't need any other blenders, because personally... I have like a little $15 smoothie blender that I use a lot for making like dinner sauces and also quick smoothies or making milkshakes for the kids. And then I have, I do not own a Vitamix, which is like a really weird thing for me to say. Like it's one of those weird like food editor things where I feel like I should own a Vitamix because everyone else on the internet seems to own a Vitamix, even though rationally I know that that is not true. There's like the weird thing where I'm like, I'm a professional recipe developer. I should probably have a professional blender. And I don't. And didn't Tess make you feel better about that? Uh, like, it's Tess fine. made me feel like I could have at least three other different blenders that don't <laughs> need to be a Vitamix. 
in addition to the two that I have. For real. (laughs) And like what she said about lower end blenders and how maybe they're not going to last as long is really true. Like my little $15 blender, over the last 10 years, I've had three of them. Like you just burn out the motor because they're just not made to be used as rigorously as I'm using them. Totally. But I don't have the counter space to have or even cupboard space to like have my full size blender out all the time. So I'm more likely to like just use that one. But also I just enjoyed listening to Tess because there was so much she shared about her personal um, diet, which is like she's vegan and she's gluten-free and like how the blender helps her eat that I took away as like, oh, those are really smart tips for like anyone who's trying to eat more plant-based or who needs to be dairy-free or whatever. Like there's just so many smart tips. Okay. So I'm really glad you brought this up because it did make me realize about my own blender cooking that a lot of what I do in the blender that is what maybe the average cook might think is like out of the ordinary, you know, besides the smoothies and the soups, does come from the days when I was cooking dairy-free. So, you know, things like I keep raw cashews in my freezer still to this day. It used to be because that's all Isaac could eat because he couldn't use heavy cream. Everybody here knows that I like heavy cream and that I can eat sour cream by the spoonful. But There are lots of cases I learned from cooking dairy-free for Isaac all those years ago where you really do achieve a very similar result. Because you know how sometimes vegans will be like, and it tastes like it has tons of cream. And you're like, not really. That's because you haven't had cream in 15 years. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't think so. But there are some cases Uh, You know, I think Tessa's example is a prime one, using raw cashews to finish off a soup and to make it a creamy soup, where it's not even about, like, trying to be low-fat or anything. It's just a habit that I got into because it is a perfect substitute, in my mind, that we still do. And because also, we're all a little bit dairy-sensitive still. So given that we can eat sour cream by the spoonful, it's a nice little counterbalance. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that was the thing is I didn't feel like some smoothie adjacent books or, you know, smoothie influencers, blender influencers make you feel like all that you can make from your blender is health food or food that is healthified. And I didn't feel like that with Tess at all. Like she was talking about risotto and rice pudding and like how to make decadent things in your blender. And I was also really inspired by that. Okay, before we give away the whole interview, (laughs) you guys, if you're not already familiar with Tess Masters, she's an actor, a lifestyle personality, author of The Blender Girl, The Blender Girl Smoothies, The Perfect Blend. She and her healthy fast food have been featured in the LA Times, The Washington Post, in Style, RealSimpleParents.com, and countless other publications literally all around the world. You can find hundreds of her easy recipes at TheBlenderGirl.com, and maybe that rings a bell, The Blender girl. That's Tess. And we're going to talk to her right now. Okay, Tess, we know you're a believer in the blender as a key kitchen tool. Obviously, that's why we have you on today. But I want you to just set the stage for our conversation and just quickly tell us why you think the blender is something that everybody should own. 
Because it's the greatest culinary gift that's been given to us since fire and spoons. Ah! And it just, uh, you know, just levels the playing field in the kitchen and it makes it very easy to whip up very, you know, healthy or fun food with very little skills and even less time. You know, we can talk about all the different things a blender can do, but I do think that what sets it apart is that there's an alchemy that's created when you blend things that you cannot create any other way. So I think that for me, that's why it would be the number one kitchen tool, you know, in any kitchen besides a knife and a cutting board and a spoon. That's a serious statement to make. I'm totally, I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. So then let's talk about types of blenders. Cause are you saying, does this statement apply to everything from your hand powered blender to your high powered blender? Like what's the deal? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that about an immersion blender or a stick blender or a hand blender, right? They're all the same thing, but different people call them different things. So I think that there are limitations with an immersion or a hand stick blender. So I'm talking about, you know, a regular conventional blender. Like, yes, we can talk about the high-speed machines, which are designed, you know, with the friction heat of the blades to heat soups, etc. really um, completely pulverize nuts and seeds, make, you know, make crusts and make flowers and things like that. But no, I'm not even going that far yet. I'm just talking about your $99 standard blender that you can buy, you know, pretty much on any budget. That's what I thought was for making margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that is the number one reason why people buy a blender, right? They buy blenders to make cocktails, right? To make a margarita, Um, Or to make smoothies, right? Those are the two main reasons why people buy a blender. But I think, you know, obviously, you know, Vitamix experienced, you know, 200% growth in four years some time ago. And there was a reason for that, right? It was, you know, people started to realize that these high-speed blenders could do more than just make a margarita, right? And then the rest of the world jumped on board. And so now we have a lot of options to choose from, from a lot of different companies. All right. We want you to name names. If you were going to recommend a budget-friendly blender, are there a couple that you think do better than others? Yeah, I mean, look, I own almost every blender in the world. You know, I work as a consultant for different companies. I help, you know, designers <laughs> and engineers make blenders better. So, I mean, I, I do have very firm opinions about this. You know, I think that I can recommend blenders at any price point, you know. So, I do think that the KitchenAid K150 is an excellent, you know, b- below $100 price point blender. I think the Osterizer, um, beehive blender is a good one you know i think that there's there's some good ones you know i think that um cuisinart the hurricane the low-end hurricane is quite good you know so i don't think that you need to break the bank balance even look i will say you know the instant pot blender which you can get for the ace or the nova for you know around a hundred dollars that's not bad either it's not my favorite blender but there are options you know so if you go into you know even into a bricks and mortar retailer Let's support them, please. You know, for with a 20% off coupon, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond or something, go into Best Buy when they're having a big sale, go onto Amazon when they're having a sale. You know, you really can pick something up that will work very well. You know, what I will say, though, is that 
like with so many things, you get what you pay for, you know. So you are going to have, you know, textural differences, you know, between, you know, a $100 entry point blender compared to, you know, a, a high speed blender that's, you know, $399, $499, $599, $899. You know, they run the gamut. You know, I think for mid-range blenders, Breville makes a couple of good blenders now. You know, they, they've kind of revamped their line in the last few years. Um, again, I would say that the Cuisinart Hurricane um, is quite good. It's, it's a agitated a little bit too much for me and there's some calibration problems but it's it's quite good but the hands down the number one best mid-range blender in the world on the market right now is the KitchenAid K400 it blends almost as good as a high speed $500 machine the only thing it doesn't do is heat soup you know you won't get a smoother texture with things like apples and beets and carrots but it does peanut butter, nut butters, homemade ice creams, really smooth, you know, with leafy greens, just like a Vitamix or a KitchenAid or a Blendtec or any of those high-speed machines. It's quite extraordinary. I want to know about making ice cream in the blender because that's something I've never done. And I'm definitely like the baking and pastry sweets-driven person of Stacey and I. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so you can make two kinds of ice cream in a blender, right? Now, again, if you're going to make ice cream in a blender, nice cream, which is just, you know, water or fruit juice or different kinds of milks with frozen fruit, you have to have a high-speed machine that has a tamper. So an instrument that gets in there where you can burst the air pockets and distribute the ingredients while the machine is running. You can't make nice cream or instant frozen fruit ice cream in a conventional low-end blender without a tamper, right? So you can't do that. And I will say even because what's happening now is a lot of these low-end models like Instant Pot's a good example, they come with tampers, but they're pretty insignificant. They don't work very well and they the power of the motor won't move the ingredients right so if you don't have a high-speed machine you can make certain kinds of instant nice cream or frozen fruit ice cream in a food processor right let's say I was going to do you know it's the ratio is typically you know about one three quarters of a cup to one cup of almond milk or coconut milk, for example, with, you know, maybe three cups of, of frozen strawberries, you know, would, would give me strawberry ice cream. And maybe I would throw some dates or maple syrup or some monk fruit or something in there to sweeten it. And then you can just add all your aromatics. You know, I could make a strawberry rose ice cream or a strawberry ginger or a strawberry basil Yum. or whatever. So I think that, you know, beyond that, you also can just blend up regular, any kind of ice cream, right? And then churn it in an ice cream maker to make more a more conventional style ice cream, you know? So, I mean, I think, you know, there's several ways you could do it. Okay. So I want to pause here for a second because I want to hear more about like batters and all the different things that you like rattled off a long list. But I want to talk for a second because you mentioned food processors. How do we know what is good for our blender versus our, let's say our mini chop or our food processor? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, all of these manufacturers, they want to sell machines, right? So they're going to tell you that their machine does everything and you just need this thing. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is no one machine that does absolutely everything. Maybe. We appreciate your honesty. Well, I'm just. It's you, a little bit disappointing. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, look, you know, a blender can do most <laughs> things, right? And, you know, so Vitamix has certainly given it a crack, right? So they came out with an emulsifying disc, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, so you could emulsify things, right? because that was something that was a little bit problematic with, with some of these blenders, right? Yeah. Similarly, you know, they'll say, then, then they'll make claims, what you can need dough in a blender. You can do this. Well, you know what? 
yeah, you can kind of do a crappy job of kneading dough, but if you're a baker like yourself, you, it's not going to cut the mustard for you, right? So I think that yeah. as a general rule, what I'll say is, and, you know, like Vitamix, for example, will say you can wet chop and dry chop in a blender. And, yes, you can, right? You can put, for example, we could make hash browns in a blender and we could add water and add our potatoes and we could just pulse and we would have hash browns. Now, are they really good hash browns? No, not really. I'd prefer to do it in a food processor. So for chopping up onions, you know, chopping up tomatoes for salsa, things like that, yes, you can do it in a blender. If you've got limited budget and limited kitchen space and you want to have one machine, yes, you can, but you're going to get the best result if you do your, you know, the most even chopping if you chop your onions or your tomatoes in a little mini chopper, for example. So I have a little mini chopper, I have a food processor, and of course I have all these different blenders, right? So I use different things for, you know, to get the most efficient result. Like I can chop, you know, an onion in a mini chopper in, you know, less than 10 seconds. Whereas I'll, I'll pull it out of a wet chop out of a blender, for example, and I've just got big bits and small bits and maybe it's all gone mushy. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that there's certain things that a blender can do. Likewise, conversely, let's say I was going to make my frozen ice cream, my frozen ice cream, like we were talking about in a food processor. It's never going to be completely smooth. Like it's going to be in a high speed blender. So, you know, for that instance, you know, I'm never going to be able to completely get a smooth texture with dates in a food processor, even the best food processor. You know, I think the best food processor on the planet is the Breville Sous Chef. Almonds to almond meal in four pulses. It's extraordinary. It's better than the Magi Mix, better than the Cuisinart. It is the best food processor on earth. But I'm still not going to get the smooth consistency I would with a a regular blender or a high-speed blender, I should say. Likewise, an immersion blender can be really helpful for, you know, doing just a quick a quick blend of a soup inside the pot. So it's truly a one pot dish. And I save my time of five minutes of transferring it to the blender and then five minutes more of cleaning up the blender. I'm just going to do it all in my saucepan and be done, you know? So there's certain things that are better for, you know, other things. Likewise, like, let's say I I had a high speed blender and I had a dry container where I could grind, you know, rolled oats into oat flour, or I could grind chickpeas into chickpea flour. I could do that in a food processor, but I'm never going to get that beautiful, smooth, fully fine consistency that I would get in a spice grinder or the dry container of a high-speed blender. Okay. So Tess, let's go back to this because you keep rattling. I'm like trying to keep a list of all the things that I can make from flowers to nut butters, ice cream to batters. (laughs) Talk to us about batters because I know Megan mentioned that earlier. Yes. We're not eating dough in our blender, right? I wouldn't. Right. I mean, I would, I, I, cause here's the thing, you know, I mean, as you know, cause you both bake, baking is chemistry and you, and, yeah. and the texture of your flour, you don't want to be overworking, particularly conventional doughs, right? It really does affect your crumb and your rise and all these other things, right? So I just think that it's almost sacrilege to need dough in a blender as, as much as that pains me to say that my dear blender can't do everything. <laughs> but yeah. I also want yeah. a really great end product, right? So I think that sometimes, you know, you can fall into the hype of these companies who want to, they just want to sell their machines, right? So batters, on the other hand, you know, again, this is another thing that can happen, right? With eggs, I mean, I'm gluten-free and vegan, so I don't work with eggs, but I did obviously eat them a long time ago. And so, you know, for example, when you make crepes, 
you're going to leave your batter to ideally it would stand overnight, right? For the best, um, right. most uniform, beautiful crepe that doesn't have holes in it and all this other stuff, right? So it doesn't really matter with something like that because you're going to aerate something. It's going to get a lot of bubbles and whatever, but then you're going to leave it to sit, you know? Whereas with some other batters, for example, let's say I was going to blend a cake batter you just have to think about what you're going to do. You might want to leave it sitting so that it, it can, it, you, you, you have the best texture with your end product and the best crumb, you know? So what I will do is to circumvent that so that I do get the best texture is I will use the blender to partially blend my batter and then I will fold the dry ingredients in. So for example, if I was going to make a cake batter, for example, whether it's vegan or non-vegan, but let's say I'm using applesauce, you know, as my egg replacer or whatever, I would blend my milk with my grapeseed oil to replicate the butter, for example, or, you know, and then I would blend it all to get all my liquid ingredients completely smooth and uniform. And I might even put, you know, my salt and a few of the other things in there just so that they're evenly dispersed. But then I would want to gently work through my flowers of any kind so that I'm not overworking the batter. And then, you know, I would fold in my baking powder, etc. So I think that there's things that you can do where you use your blender, you know, just like you would use some other appliances to get a good result or your whisk, for example, you know, some people will do that. It depends on the recipe really, but I, I never like to overwork things. But typically, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I, I act like I'm a super meticulous cook, but I'm actually a total slapdash hack. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, I want to do everything the quickest, fastest way, right? But by the same token, I also want the product to be really great. So I think it depends on the recipe. You know, I think a lot of people are getting a lot more knowledgeable about this. And so it, it does come down to making sure you're getting your recipes from a reliable person that tests their recipes yes. and really knows what they're doing. Right. And it can be a real minefield on the internet because yeah. you have a lot of people just basically ripping off other people's recipes. They don't really know what they're doing. And it's a race to get to the top of Google, you know? And so I think that you do want to try, you know, somebody's recipes and really look at what they're writing about and how they're talking about food. And that's how, you know, you know, you kind of learn to trust by doing and trying people's stuff, right. Or cookbooks or wherever you're getting your recipes from. I think you sort of quickly learn who sort of knows what they're doing and is going to give you really honest advice about what to do. Absolutely. Especially around the frenzy with tools like the air fryer, the Instant yes. Pot. The, you know, that's why we wanted to talk to you. You're the OG of the blender. And I personally have made many, many of your recipes and we know that they work. So that's a huge part of it. Going back to batters, I'm also thinking about there are some batters that are traditionally made in the blender, like Clafouti yes, is a I blender do batter. Dutch babies and popovers, both of those batters yes. in the blender because of the air that the blender can incorporate. It helps them puff really well in the oven. Yes, yes. And I mean, of course, I mean, gosh, I can talk about all the great things that why you would never do it anywhere but in a blender, of course. So, I mean, you know, pancake <laughs> batters are incredibly forgiving, right? And why would you ever make a pancake batter, you know, in a bowl with a spoon when you can throw it in the blender and get rid of all the lumps, right? Yeah, convince me that the blender is what we should be making the batter in. I am loving the turnaround here. It's so good. <laughs> okay, okay, so what so else? Speaking of, yeah, speaking of like all the things that you would say, please, please, please make in the blender, what do you use your blender for the most? And then what's the most unexpected thing you've either attempted to make in the blender and maybe was a fail or had great success with? 
I use my blender probably five times a day, literally. So I would make a different nut or seed milk every single day. Uh, I rotate it because I just want to surprise my body and have nutrient diversity and taste bud satisfaction. I make different kinds of kefirs by making nut milks and then culturing them. I'll use my blender to make a smoothie every single day. I'll do whole blended juices in a blender. Um, I'll do cocktails, I'll make fruit leathers, I'll make homemade jams and condiments and sauces and chimichurris and I'll do batters, I'll do dips, I make crackers, I make breads, I do homemade skincare, cleaning products, compost. What the hell am I doing with my time? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Tess. Oh, Tess, I want to know more about skincare and cleaning products from yes. your blender because that's amazing. I'm madly jotting down notes. I'm clearly wasting my life over here. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. No, but I mean, you know, the, the, the cleaning products, I mean, I, I don't clean with anything that's not natural, but the skincare, you know, you can emulsify really and make beautiful skincare out of, you know, sweet almond oil or coconut oil and um, different essential oils and shea butter and, you know, you, you can make really lovely skincare. There's lots of recipes at theblendergirl.com. Look, I think the most lovely, wonderful thing that I discovered was just like a gift from the gods for me was that I am a rice pudding and risotto fan, but I don't want to stand there for mm. 40 minutes constantly stirring to get a fabulous result, yeah. right? So. Uh, in my first book, The Blender Girl, I made this chai rice pudding where if you take cooked brown rice or cooked white rice or whatever you know, rice you want to do, and then you just pulse it very, very gently with some milk, then you put it in the saucepan, you can make pretty much instant rice pudding in about 10 minutes. And it's thick and beautiful, oh incredible. Gosh. So basically Stop. the blender releases some of the starch and so just like a juicer, you know, when you uh, juice sweet potatoes, it extracts the sweetness of the carb, you know, of that part of the carbohydrate, but yeah. it, you, you lose the starches. So, you know, there's certain machines that, you know, can really help you separate those different aspects um, of the profile of a food. And I think that that's been a, a that was a lovely surprise many, many years ago, you know, and likewise, I would do that with risotto as well. So that, that was a lovely little thing to do. I think that also going back to what I said before, you know, about the alchemy that's created between ingredients when you blend them that cannot be created any other way. So for example, in the plant-based world, you know, you can make the most incredible caramel sauce with a mixture of dates and maple syrup and cashews. You cannot achieve that any other way. Likewise, when I discovered that the blend of strawberries and red bell pepper would make me weak in the knees for the rest of my life, we can't achieve that any other way. So if I was to dice straw fresh strawberries and bell pepper and put them together, I'm never going to get that exact flavor. I'm going to get okay. notes of that flavor, but I'm not going to get that fully blended thing, you know? So I think that, you know, similarly, going back to some hacks, you know, I cannot make cashew cream any other way but putting water and cashews in a blender with yep. vanilla and sweetener, for example, right? A trick that I use over and over again is I will make a soup, a vegetable soup, and then at the very end, I will add a quarter of a cup of raw unsalted cashews or a quarter of a cup of blanched slivered almonds. And immediately when I blend all the ingredients together, it tastes like the soup has gobs of cream and butter yeah. in it, you know? So we can't achieve that any other way. So I think for me, the surprises for me is about the sensorial symphony that you can achieve with a blender. It's not only extraordinary colors, 
again, you know, it's kind of like mixing paints, right? We can't get it when we chop it together. You know, we can talk about emulsification and and all these different kind of more chemistry-based things that happen when you blend things. But for me, it's about the sensorial adventure, you know, the, 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 the taste that's created when you blend things together, the beautiful colours that are created, you know, the different shades of yellow and orange and brown and purple and, you know, or, you know, white and cream and yellow and, you know, it just runs the gamut like a rainbow. And I think that, you know, we take the first bite with our eyes with anything in life, but particularly with food, it has to look beautiful. And I think that there is this popular misconception that when you have a really powerful blender, you're going to blend everything within an inch of its life and you're always going for a super smooth consistency. No, I make chunky things with texture. I partially blend things. I fully blend things and it runs the whole gamut. So I think that when you start to play around with the potential of what these machines can do, you realize that they really, really do save you a lot of time, but also open up a lot of possibilities. I'm going to be the unglamorous and practical one. I think people want to know, Tess, if you're using five blenders a day, is there a hack or a tip for cleaning your blender? Because sometimes people don't want to get it out because they don't want to have to clean it. Yeah. I mean, look, I gosh, it's, it's a great question and one that I get asked all day, every day. And again, you know, these blender manufacturers will tell you it's a self-cleaning machine. Just put a drop of dish soap and fill it halfway and blend it and it'll clean it. And yes, that is the quickest way to clean your blender in the short term. So what you would do is, yes, let's say we were making peanut butter in our blender and it all gets stuck under the blades and on the sides of the container or we put protein protein powder or nut butter or whatever in our smoothie and it won't come off. So yes, you empty out the thing you've cooked or made And then you will put a drop of dish soap and you'd fill it halfway. Blenders are like people. You don't want to fill them too little. They get bored and don't know what to do and spin their blades. Or you fill it too high and it explodes and the lid falls off and you've got the Jackson (laughs) Pollock on the ceiling fiasco, right? So you just fill them halfway and that's when you'll get the most efficient vortex and efficient blending in any machine. And then you'll rinse it, pour it out. However, if that's the only way that you clean your blender, what is going to happen, because most containers are plastic, we're going to see, you know, we're seeing more stainless steel and more glass now, which is so fabulous. But at the moment, most of them are plastic, right? So what happens when you beat plastic and fruits and nuts and seeds bash against the plastic and then you don't wash things properly? So every blender has three essential components. It has the size and shape, you know, the power of the motor, the size and shape and the grooves of the container and the blade construction. And in a well-designed blender, those those three elements work in synergy to pull the, the ingredients down into efficient vortex. So the reason I mention that is every blender container has different ridges and different grooves around the container, right? And that is there deliberately to help pull the vortex down, right? So what happens when you do not scrub inside the blender? You get congealed bacteria and food and everything. And then before you know it, your blender is clouded over and it looks disgusting and it's just an incubus of viral plague. So basically I get so many questions from people and and pictures where they'll go, oh, I love my blender, but my, my container is so clouded over and disgusting. What do I do? What's the hack? How do I fix it? It's too late once you get it to that place, right? So if you came to my house right now and pulled out the hundreds of blenders in my butler's pantry, Every single one of them looks like the day I bought it. So if you do what I'm going to tell you now is you will do that first step of putting the dish soap in and maybe, you know, doing a quick thing. And maybe you'll do that, you know, for a few days if you're running, you know, you've got a 
you know, busy schedule and taking the kids off to soccer or whatever, and you just can't do it. But then I would say just take some time every few days if you're using it as much as I am or regularly and just get in there with a soft bristled toothbrush that you're not using. So once I'm done with a toothbrush, I just stick, I, I put it in the dishwasher and then I stick it under my kitchen sink and it becomes my blender or food processor or whatever little, little tool, right? So then I'll get a soft bristled toothbrush and I'll get in there with those grooves. It takes less than a minute. And then I will take a cloth and I'll wipe the machine out properly. And that's how you keep your blender from getting manky. And I think it's a really, really great question and a top tip because I think a lot of people just, they fall again for the company hype of, you don't need to do anything, but just throw the dish soap in the water and you're done. Well, if you just do that, yeah, it's just, it's going to get a bit, yeah. Okay, Tess, I want to go back to this idea of the blender creating a sensorial symphony. When I was thinking of questions to ask you, I really was thinking about well, like how does the heat that the blade creates play into creating the final product? And what happens when things get emulsified? And you're right. Like who really cares about that? Like we know that those are the things that happen in a blender. <laughs> but the final product as you start to experiment with your blender is what really matters. And it's true that you can get textures you can't get with any other tool and you can get flavors you can't get with any other tool. I think that the strawberry and red bell pepper example is a really beautiful one. So I don't that's I'm very excited. I feel like I need to go use my blender right this very second. <laughs> I'm like what have I been doing? Why didn't I use my blender for 2 days? Look, the other thing too is the blender helps to inspire confidence in the kitchen, you know, for novice cooks, for children, for for men who think they can't cook, for older people who are discovering the joy of the kitchen in retirement when they never made the time before, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, teenagers, college kids, whatever, you know, some of the most joyful emails that we get every day are from mums or dads. And sometimes even teenagers will write to me and say, I used your, the, the smoothie making chart to make my own smoothies every day. And you know, my daughter does it every single day. And they send me these lovely pictures of these kids with their creations, with these big smiles, with smoothie mustaches, you know, on their faces. And it just, it's so joyful because Besides the intention of having good, positive, loving thoughts for ourselves and others in the world, one of the greatest acts of self-love is what we choose to nourish our body with. It's kind of a statement of self-love of I'm going to show up and be the best version I can be and I deserve to put the best things into my body. And when you make those things for yourself, it is it is a ritual. It's like a yoga practice, right, that you do it every day. And even if it's not particularly healthy, even if it's just fun and fabulous, you know, you're having a margarita party or whatever it is, right, it's this, this transaction of energy. I'm making this for you or I'm making this for myself. And I think that, you know, a lot of people get intimidated by, by cooking or by recipes or whatever. And when you just see a recipe, throw it all in the blender and blast on high and then pour it out. I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that, you know, and particularly when you don't really even need to chop that much, it's just throw it all in. I mean, anybody can do that. So I think that that's what's exciting for me is constantly seeing how we can pair it back and make it easier. You know, I constantly say, you know, I've got hundreds and hundreds of people in my cooking club and we cook together every Tuesday night and they're in their kitchens and I'm in my kitchens. And one of the things that I always say to them is if you're coming to this cooking club to learn how to sous vide or, or chop an onion perfectly, 
specifically, you've come to the wrong place because I'm all about making a quick, easy, fast and fabulous. And let's just do it in the most easy, no frills, no fuss, no wanky way possible, right? So, you know, I think that's the secret of bringing people into this world and just getting them to just plug their blender in and use the electricity and just go for it. Because, you know, I think that for me, it's like, don't be nervous, be bold. We're going to blend it anyway. And that's the coolest thing about putting raw foods into the blender because it really is like cooking with Goldilocks. You know, you just tweak and taste and tweak and taste until you get it just right. And unlike baking, for example, not that I'm dissing you ladies and you're baking, but <laughs> when you're experimenting with baking, there's so many different things that can go wrong yeah. and you have to wait for the bake time and then for the cooling time to figure out if you got it right. Whereas with a blender, it's instant gratification. And so you kind of just taste it. You put your little spoon or I put my finger in and tweak, 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 taste, taste, taste. And then it's like, hmm, that's pretty good. And maybe I'll just add a little bit more ginger or a little bit of lemon zest or a little bit of, you know, whatever. And um, it just, then then food just becomes fun. I mean, I can't think of a more perfect note to end on. (laughs) I'm completely inspired. Tess, this was so fun. I'm like blown away by a lot of like little vegan taste and cooking hacks that I learned just from listening to you talk about the blender. So we so appreciate your time today. No, it was a pleasure. Okay, Stacey, I can't believe we did not do this with Tess, but I'm going to really put you on the spot right now. Oh, stop. Yes. And we're going to play Kiss, Mary Kill with... (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Blender mini chop, and an immersion blender or stick blender, hand blender. Oh, okay. So first of all, easy. Okay. Kill the immersion blender. <gasps> okay. I, I have one and I really, really barely use it. I use I, mine all the time. I only use mine for <laughs> soup. And okay, I okay. don't mind, like, transferring the soup, like, it would make... Well, we all know from the soup episode that I'm not huge on soup, so I don't make soup that frequently. So having to clean my blender, you know, every yeah. once in a while isn't that hard. Side note, speaking of cleaning the blender, that cloudy look, I my blender was starting to get there, and I realized it's because Mike would make his coffee protein shake every single morning, oh. and he was like, no problem. You just fill it halfway with water, and you put some drops of... So in it. I was laughing so hard hearing her talk about that because I finally was like, Mike, you like every few times you also like need to wash this. I'm like, glad he oh, listens to really? every single episode of Didn't I Just Feed You. So <laughs> Tess can tell him you don't have to. <laughs> okay, before I get in trouble, let's go back okay. to the game. Okay. I'm like, am so, I gonna get in hot water or hot, hot water? Yeah. Okay. So I'm Kill killing the my immersion. Immersion blender. Okay. And then I have to kiss my mini chop. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to kiss my mini chop because I go in and out of really loving my mini chop and using it. Sometimes I put it away and I'll forget about it forever, (laughs) which goes to show that it isn't really a key part of my repertoire. So it's like a flirty thing that like phases out, kind of like, you know, a relationship where you're just like all kissy and you're not willing to commit. And I'm going to marry my blender. Okay, so I do have a Vitamix and that's the only one I have. And I really do use it for a lot. I will not regularly, but I do make nut and seed butters. I love clafu tea is one of my favorite everyday desserts. We don't talk about that enough. I don't make Dutch babies enough. 
But I meet Dutch babies all the time. I know you do. And you know that since the last time you said that, I've been making them more frequently. And it's really fun. And I really do love making a good batter in the blender. I don't know. It's it just feels really satisfying. Easy. Yes. Isn't totally. it? Yes. Yes. Okay. What about you? Kiss, Mary kill. Okay. I will kill the mini chop. I actually don't think that what I have, because it's like a smaller food processor, does that count even as a mini chop? I never drag it out. Like, I just never do. I will kiss my blender. I, like I said at the beginning of the episode, Because I have, like, a smaller smoothie blender, I use that, like, a lot more than my full-size KitchenAid blender. Although I was excited because I do think that I have one of the models that Tess recommended. So I was like, ooh, okay, I'm I'm doing all right, even without my Vitamix or without a Vitamix, I should say. Um, And then I would marry my immersion blender. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. I use it all the time, like, This week, I pulled it out to make a double batch of Dutch Babies because my Dutch Baby doesn't fit in my, like, a a double Dutch Baby doesn't fit in my smoothie blender. But I could put all the ingredients in, like, a large measuring cup and then just whir it with my immersion blender. I love it for making, like, chimichurris in the jar that I'm going to store it in. Like, you put all the stuff in, you put the immersion blender down, you stream your oil in, and, like, then you just pull out the immersion blender and it's already in the container you're going to store it in. Ditto for um, making mayo at home, which I know like a lot of people don't do on a regular basis. But if you need to make like vegan mayo or you want to make a flavored mayo for something special like a lobster night or something, um, I definitely prefer the immersion blender for making mayo rather than the big blender. Like I think the big blender is a little bit too powerful and sometimes that can break your emulsion in the mayo. Oh, I have to tell you, though, my big blender, I've become a like, it's like I drive that thing. You know, did you know that I love to drive? I'm really, <laughs> really into driving. I love to drive because we drove to the Oregon coast together. Oh, my yes, God. So I long ago. And you were like, this is great. I, but I would love to be driving. Like, I'd love I was to driving be a race car driver. Yeah, like, I yeah. love driving on windy roads. So with my high-powered blender, I, like, go at zero. And then I'm like, okay, time to go up to five. Time to go up yeah. to – Now I kick it into high gear and I put in the- – <laughs> Like, really, it's weird. It's actually weird. (laughs) It's a little bit weird. Okay, I just want to say one more thing that I love to do with my immersion blender that might surprise you. Whipped cream. I like to make whipped cream with my immersion blender. Like, I put it in a, a measuring cup or even a deli container and use it on low speed just, like, with a light hand. And it makes it so much faster than using my hand mixer. And I don't have to drag out my KitchenAid to make really nice whipped cream. Girl. I made whipped cream in my Vitamix this holiday season. I bet you did. I did, and I was very excited about it. I do have to keep it on the counter at all times, though. Yeah. And it's it's really big. But I think talking about whipped cream, like, that seems like such a small thing, but that really speaks to the power and also the precision of of a blender, whether you choose a Vitamix or an immersion blender. Totally. I'm just going to say one more thing before we close out, because I yeah. think it really bears repeating. We've talked about this in the context of the slow cooker, I think. Maybe you've even mentioned it about a toaster oven, which we all know I'm not into toaster ovens, partly because I don't have the counter space because my Vitamix is taking up all of that. <laughs> but having kids use the blender Having it be something that it's immediate, it's an easy way to chop without giving a little one a knife. 
you can throw raw fruits and vegetables in it. And we're always trying to figure out how to get our kids to eat more, encourage them, not get. That feels so like weird. Yeah. Encourage them to eat more fruits and vegetables. It's a really fun way to experiment. And I just want to say here, like, I know not everybody has a budget to just like buy extra produce that you throw in the blender. And then if it's gross, toss it. But if you do, you know, and you're not like it depends on your relationship with food waste and how you see that. But giving kid like a bunch of fruits and veggies and having them make weird different mixes. I have a very strong memory of being young and mixing together orange soda and Pepsi. And (laughs) yeah, putting all these like weird liquids together. And I thought it was so fun. It felt like I was a mad scientist. I would try it. I mean, I feel like a blender is a really great tool to let kids experiment with fruits and veggies, get immediate feedback. And if something hits or if you have recipes like from theblendergirl.com or a blender cookbook, you know, that's a really easy way to give kids the power to cook without them having to use knives and heat. Yes. And then you discover things like Tess was saying strawberries and red peppers. I never had that combination. And now I'm like, well, I want that. I want to try it. I need to know if it sings for me. Also, I can't believe that we didn't talk about the fact that the blender is actually a great place to save food from your from waste. Like if you buy too many herbs and you oh, want to be able to like yes. throw them in the the freezer for future, like pulsing them with a little bit of water or olive oil is a great way to preserve them. We throw so much, so much like fruit that's on the edge of bad. bad. I just chop it up and then it goes in smoothies or nice creams um, or it can even be worked into Dutch baby batter or pancake batter if it's like frozen. Um, So that's like just another plus one for blenders. A hundred percent. So obviously everyone needs a blender. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of curious. I want to know if our listeners have a blender, if they use it more, if after listening, they think they'll use it more. So I mean, before anything else, of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Also to our newsletter. There you're going to get an exclusive recipe, our pick of the week every single week. You can subscribe at didn'tijustfeedyou.com or follow the link in our Instagram bio. Speaking of Instagram, ooh, ooh, I don't know. I, that was like fun. We're having so much fun on Instagram this year. You can find us there and on Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. A reminder that all the real Facebook fun is happening in our private listeners community. The answer to be let in and the answer to what our favorite cocktail is, is whiskey. Um, and since you already mentioned, don't forget to subscribe where you're listening. But hey, if you've got a minute right now, I think you should leave a review because this was a really great episode. <laughs> If we do say so ourselves. <laughs> Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gadsick, who makes us sound like we're professional every week. I'm Stacy. And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well fed until next week. Emmett, what's your favorite breakfast? Pancakes. With butter inside it until butter. Farts out until it's fart until I eat it on the floor. Stay in.